This is Larry Dobrow, MMM's senior editor, and we're here today for the MMM podcast with Georgette Pascal and Christian Rogers of Pascal Communications. It's great to have you here. We're going to be talking a little bit about social media within pharma. We're going to talk a little bit about dealing with trolls and all sorts of other very cool stuff. Before we get going, though, a couple of the usual plugs to do. Um, MMM's salary survey is now live on the site. Um, it'll be up for another week or two. We'd love to have any input that anybody can give. We'll be launching our Best Places to Work annual, I don't want to call it a competition because everybody's a winner, but um, our Best Places to Work uh, programming in about a week or two. And finally, um, tickets to the MMM Awards, which will be held October 10th at Cipriani Wall Street in Manhattan, are available now. So uh, get them while they're hot, right? Anyway, I'd like to thank Georgette and Christian for being in here today. Um, they have, a, you know, Pascal has a virtual office, so uh, you're coming from various parts of the uh, Northeast. Yes. Thank you for having us, by the way. Pascal loves you guys and all of our clients do too. So it's a pleasure to be here. And yeah, he's coming from Philly today and me from Connecticut. So both very hot places. Yeah. You know, the lovely New York subways making it even more pleasant once (laughs) you get into New York. So we can just kind of enhance the experience from there. Definitely. Yeah. You know, I, I think one of the reasons that we wanted to have you both in today is that you guys do social well. And I think in pharma, there are very few organizations that can say that. Um, you, you seem to get it. You do it in a way that's transparent, but also something that very much, you know, hews the line, you know, and that's a tricky, uh, tricky thing to do in this era, especially when it's still a little bit of a Wild West feel out there. Yep. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that. We'll talk a little bit about uh, Don't Troll on Me, which is our campaign, trying to figure out how to uh, eliminate some of the noise from the background, so to speak. But uh, why, why don't we start out with kind of the most basic thing? We'd love to hear a little bit about how the company got started and certainly how the two of you started working together. Sure. I'll take that. Hi, it's Georgia. Okay. So Christian and I have known each other for 20 years, 20 plus years, like any good relationship. We met in a bar um, in Brooklyn <laughs> years ago, and uh, we were both uh, marketing freaks and always have been, him on the advertising side, me on the PR side. So um, when I wanted to start my virtual healthcare PR firm almost 15 years ago, that was kind of not heard of. And Christian was one of the first fans to say, you should do it. It's so innovative, all that good stuff. So we always worked together, always stayed, you know, the best of friends. And then fast forward 15 years, um, large public company, um, branded pharmaceutical wanted some social. And we were always hot to get into the digital you know, realm. We had done our own kind of, you know, promotion as Pascal online, and we were always big believers in it. But I needed someone to kind of get us to that level. So hence, I kind of dragged him um, to the dark side, (laughs) to the dark side of healthcare, which, by the way, both of us have non-healthcare backgrounds. So Mm -hmm. the the fact that we're both here, you know, is great. And I think, you know, I I did do finance and other highly regulated um, industries in the past. Um, But, you know, pharma and all that is definitely different. But I think that's why we bring something a little bit different. And we're so yin and yang, I think. You know, for me, it's more about gut feelings, and for him, it's more about data. Mm-hmm. And with our third partner, Jess, hey, Jess, um, who's probably a little combo of both of us, I think we've rounded out the team well. So that's how we came to work yeah. together. It was actually an interesting story. I, about five years ago, I was in San Francisco in between jobs and uh, just looking for my next thing and had not really worked in healthcare at all. I'd done digital my entire career, but nothing really extensive in healthcare. And Georgia called me and said, she has this opportunity, blockbuster drug, a big pharmaceutical company in Southern California. Can you like go pitch it? And I really didn't know what I was doing, but I put together a plan. <laughs> I did a ton of research over a week and got on a plane. And, you know, I think a lot of what my research was showing me was that in pharmaceuticals, you know, they just hadn't caught up with the rest of the marketing industry at all. 
Um, you know, saw a lot of brands kind of dipping their toes, a lot of companies that maybe started a Twitter account in 2014 and then quit. And I just thought it was an opportunity. And, you know, these companies spending tens of millions of dollars per year, per year on television and nowhere to be found on social media. And so that's where we saw the opportunity. So we went and pitched it and we won it and we built the team around that. And he's so forward thinking. And I think it really played off. We were strictly a healthcare PR firm for so many years. And when we forayed into digital, we really needed someone strong and innovative to help push our clients and help them see the ROI and how this would be very effective for them um, from a marketing perspective. So, And it, just in terms of the virtualness of Pascal, yeah. um, you know, Georgette was doing that before before it was cool. And so I knew... Before everybody realized this yeah. is kind of a smart way to go about your business. Exactly. You know, I also saw that you know, in building a team, getting good talent was going to be difficult uh, in this environment. But I knew that this virtual model that Georgette had built was going to was going to help. And so we've we've got some great people who um, are great at pharma, but also really appreciate the the benefits of working from wherever. Mm -hmm. um, both of you with the background, you know, your premier background was outside um, health and pharma. Um, how did that inform that first major branded pitch? I mean, you know, you you you've been doing this for a while and everything, but then you this one opportunity comes your way. How much of what you did in your previous professional lives was almost building up to that moment? So for me, I mean, I've always worked, you know, I've worked both on the client side and on the agency side and on the agency side and and also on the client side. It was always about trying to get more budget for digital. Um, you know, you look at these enormous offline media spends. I started as a media guy and, uh, you know, to be able to convince a you know Marcom director to take a million dollars away from a TV budget to you know launch a Facebook campaign was you know nearly impossible ten years ago. So my I was just trained to fight for budget basically. And so when I started looking at pharma and just seeing how much money there was in the in the offline marketing of it and how little attention was being paid to digital and social media specifically, I just saw it was a no brainer. Um, once I got into it and started understanding that um, I'd worked in many different regulated spaces in the past, but not as much um, FDA. Uh, once I got into it, I, I definitely you know realized that there are some challenges. Uh, but I think what sets us apart is that we take those challenges on. And you know, if something hasn't been created before, um, you know, I think we were one of the first people to do a scrolling ISI in a in a pharma ad. Uh, now Facebook just has that built into their product. And for me, I think it was about just being aggressive. So coming from, you know, I did music, I did corporate, I did fashion, I went to FIT, shout out down the street. Um, so, um, and I did say FIT, not MIT, but that's great. Um, you know, for me, it was about being aggressive because I had to be with all these other things I was pitching in my former PR life. And I saw within pharma or med device, biotech, whatever, it just wasn't as aggressive because it couldn't be. And it was such a refreshing education, I think, for everyone, including myself, whether it was with, you know, HCPs or with patients to be able to share that, you know, and be more aggressive and try and push the envelope and get more targeted stories out there that really help the patient too. Because people always forgot. I said to them, you know, it's great, but you have to understand doctors are consumers as well. And everyone's reading Wall Street Journal or, you know, and I think people forget that. So I think it was such a nice trend for us being aggressive people coming from PR and advertising to kind of create what we've done digitally. Yeah. And I think also a lot of what we do is really treating doctors as people. Uh, I'd say half of the uh, client work that we do is targeted towards medical professionals. And a lot of the resistance I would hear when I first got into to talking to some of um, Pascal's clients was, oh, you, neurologists are not on 
Facebook mm-hmm. or, you know, dermatologists don't use Twitter. And then I'd go to some of these medical meetings and I'd be like, I kind of think they are. Um, just <laughs> nobody has really thought about how to target them. I mean, in a way, that was almost an easy excuse. Yeah. Right? You know, OK, we don't have to do this because, right. well, in our mind, you know, right. they're all just, you know, they're not playing with social media. Like, yeah. They're the only people in the country. You know, they're somehow they're not there. Yeah. Know? We sort of came up with this this term digital KOLs early on, because I really didn't even know what the term KOL meant, which I've come to learn basically means an influencer. Um, Fancy way. Yeah, exactly. And so we just, you know, kind of came up with digital KOLs and started identifying some of these doctors that could actually speak on behalf of our clients on social media. And that's just been a powerful part of our practice um, when we, when we talk to new clients, especially is that we've kind of got that know-how of, um, we actually created a, a, a practice within our practice called MD Accelerator. that's all about making, doctors be better on social media mm-hmm. and it's completely HIPAA compliant and uh, we have several really good case studies of um, times we've taken doctors have really kind of made them just as famous online as they are offline. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to go back to something both of you addressed, um, you know, the need to be aggressive, you know, the need to fight for the budget dollars. Um, how Was there ever a point where it was frustrating where, you know, you saw these, you know, ridiculous ad buys and DTC and TV, everything else. And you could just be like, take a fraction of it, take a yeah. fraction of a fraction of a fraction of yeah. it. Um, how, how did you get clients to adjust their thinking? I think it was almost more a philosophical thing in a lot of uh, situations than it was a, you know, worrying about resources or anything like that. Well, I think for me, and before you go, because you have probably the, the real answer, but I think it's also trust and loyalty. And I think we've built a brand at Pascal where with some of our clients, they've been with us from the start. So when we say something, they might push back. But then when we continue to say and present them with data and case studies and understanding and little tiny you know, programs or projects, not asking for a lot of money or a huge retainer, it was it was easier for us to kind of delineate that, I think. So. It's also a, on a client-by-client client basis. Uh, you know, there's a, a, a couple clients, um, I'll throw out Carrie Powers as somebody who was one of the first uh, people I worked with in this space. And she's still very, um, I would say, a game changer in the world of pharmaceutical marketing. But, you know, people, you have to find the clients that are willing to take the risks and willing to just fight for what they want. Um, There's, you know, I was going to maybe talk about this later, but I think in healthcare, there's just um, a bit of a talent gap within several of these companies and just people who have never been trained the way a digital marketer has been trained. And when you find those innovators, those people who are really willing to fight the fight internally, um, that for me tends to be where you get the success. Because at the end of the day, to launch a Facebook campaign or an Instagram channel or a Twitter handle, it doesn't cost that much money. The money is going to come in when you get into paid media, and that's where the fight will happen over you know how much to spend on TV versus social media versus other channels. But I think to just get started and just to get that initial concept approved through a regulatory team within a pharmaceutical company, that's the biggest battle. And he had to educate me coming in. I would push back a lot as well. I'm like, what do you mean? I don't understand. They're just asking for a Facebook page or whatever. And it really is about analyzing and, and understanding and targeting appropriately, especially which with HCPs, which has been huge over the past six months to a year. I mean, so much more education. So, you know, it, it took a while for me to be convinced in some way too. And then, but as you're saying, with we also presented a lot of data to the clients and also did small projects. And I think we're ne- we were never, we were never first. Yeah. Yes. We were never overly, you have to commit to six months. Just let us show you. That's always been my thing. Maybe it's the entrepreneur in me, the Italian in me, I don't know, mm-hmm. but just let us show you. I really think this is going to move the needle. And that could even be a LinkedIn campaign for them to hire folks. We've seen so many companies, public that we've been able to help that way 
to hire new talent and really search for exactly what they need sales-wise and all of that. So I think they see the benefit from different innovative ways we can do that. It's not just set up an Instagram. It's what do we really need to do? And that's what Christian and the team have taught me, which has been great. Was there for um, for both of you, was there kind of a kind of an aha moment where, you know, something that you were either trying to get a client to do or, you know, something that you saw, you know, out in the world doing really well? Was there something that kind of let you know, hey, this is an area that one, we're pretty good at and B, there's an acute market need for? When you when for me, when you guys and people I admire in industry, having been in healthcare for over two decades now, really noticing and coming to us and just, you know, even on LinkedIn, you know, former contacts from Baxter, from Bayer, from wherever, you know, coming back and saying, hey, you know, I'm here now. Talk to me about this. It was much more, you know, we've always been word of mouth and haven't had to push too hard for new business because people, as we know, change. But that was an aha moment. I was like, Christian, you know, he's done a great job with that because people were starting to come to us to say, tell us what you do, you know, digitally. But And I think, you know, the switch for me was when companies just started coming to us, pharmaceutical brands, and asking, like, if we could help them do what we've done for other brands. It really is a bit of a specialty. Um, and the reason that they are coming to us, you know, a lot of what we hear is that we they feel safe. They, they feel like we're not going to, you know, do anything that's going to trigger a letter from the FDA. Um, and, I, you know, I think that was an area where we really focused when we first started doing this was on, um, you know, really good processes and protocols uh, around engagement. And I think that's kind of what we wanted to talk about today is mm-hmm. just trolling and how you, you know, manage crowds on social media. Uh, and so I think that investment really paid off because we were able to, um, I'd say somewhat write the write the playbook on um, how to do a you know a safe and effective social media campaign that's gonna um, you know give your client peace of mind that they don't have to worry about on the weekends. Um, to that end, and this is kind of a broad thing to ask, but um, in terms of pharma's embrace of social media, you know some of the tactics that are associated with it. Um, where, where do you think we are? Are we past the infancy yet? Are we getting to a tweenhood? Are we getting to adolescence? Uh, where do you think we are? I think we're definitely past infancy and, you know, it's become, it's, you know, you're starting to see the brands that, and it's mostly the newer brands who are just building digital into their, uh, into their, their plan. So um, they're actually like thinking about social media uh, before they're developing the television commercial or in tandem with developing the television commercial. So uh, I think that it, there's still a lot of room to go. Uh, you know, the other kind of dynamic to the whole thing is social media keeps changing. You know, now Facebook's becoming more of a messaging platform and that's going to change the way brands, all brands, uh, you know, present themselves on that particular platform. Um, And so, you know, pharma will also have to adapt. So I think it's about how, how quickly, um, it's not so much quickly, but just speed. Like, Mm -hmm. like they just need to, they need to think and act Fast. Well, speed, responsiveness. Yeah. Well, and that's what I was just going to say. That's what we're known for is being yeah. responsive. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really the whole trajectory of this is it wasn't we're going to send you a plan and then, you know, wait two weeks and see what happens. Let us take you through. Let us share a screen and show you what we're seeing and, and all of this kind of stuff. And I think that's really, you know, helped as well. So um, I know that, you know, certainly there are only so many things that you can share. But when you look out um, among, you know, pharma and healthcare brands, who, who has done well within the social media realm? Um, is there a certain category that has done smart or different or interesting work? Um, 
and you know anything that you're i know there are limitations what you can share but yeah no. i would start and just say like for me overall as a specialty because we've worked in so many specialties at Pascal is like just aesthetics and, and all of that yeah. and how that can be so visual and mm-hmm. we have this new client dive bio they're amazing and it's just transdermal kind of drug delivery and it's amazing what they're doing in their applications mm-hmm. and to see how they can target that you know with you know the aesthetic market and how that's grown in terms of just media and everything um digitally it's been really exciting to watch over the past you know I'd say few years but I would agree. I think that uh, aesthetics and derm uh, are a natural for social media because it's so visual. Uh, they also tend to be, uh, especially the aesthetic side, um, a bit more competitive uh, with each other because there's just so many practices and uh, uh, you know people who are who have to use these products. Um, so I'd say that's one. But I think that uh, neurology, neurosciences, oh, and mental health. Uh, is again kind of a natural place for uh, um, a, a therapeutic area to um, invest. I think you know we're actually writing a report right now uh, on neurosciences and uh, you know kind of a playbook for social media marketers in that space. But um, I think that's going to be like not a huge area, but it's definitely an area that we're seeing more activity from clients and. Uh, I'm still waiting for the pharmaceutical company that comes up with a pill for digital addiction. Mm -hmm. I think that's going to actually... And maybe we shouldn't say that, but it's the truth, right? So So, that's what we always talk about. It's very cyclical. It's going to be our ultimate meta moment. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. But we do. I think neurospace and and mental health and things like that, they can span so many things. And I just think biotech and just talking to Steve the last time I was here about, you know, you guys getting more into med device and other things, you know, that's so exciting, you know, to us too, not to plug that for you, but I think Mm -hmm. that would be great because they're doing so much more digitally. So that's definitely on the horizon of things happening, obviously, a lot quicker than in pharma, which makes it a little bit more exciting. And you know, in a way, they can pull pharma in a little totally. bit more. You know, you see totally. somebody in kind of a related field, yeah. you yeah. know, excelling and, you know, getting huge, you know, bang for the buck. Yeah. Okay, what the hell? Let's, you know, let's do this finally. Yeah. Let's and, get in there. and you hear Gary Vee and all these people talk about TikTok and all these things, which yeah. my kids use constantly, and mm-hmm. it's like this gazillion dollars. And it's just crazy. You think, how is that going to fit into healthcare? I mean, I think we think like that, you know, because we're not from healthcare. So I think we always think of, huh. How, how can this affect it? It's interesting. And we don't. Uh, we also do uh, outside of pharma. We work with a lot of device companies and surgical procedures and devices uh, where the regulation is not as uh, strict as branded mm-hmm. pharma. Uh, and so, I think that and that, I think that space is actually growing quite quickly. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing a lot of really good momentum on the device in the device world. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk trolls a little bit. Uh, I would imagine that these uh, particular, this particular species makes life quite a bit more difficult. Um, how, how does the prevalence of trolls within pharma and health compare to other areas? I mean, I think, you know, politics, we're going to leave way, way please, outside this we, discussion. <laughs> but um, for, you know, for other, you know, whether it's consumer, you know, consumer goods companies or right. retail or anything else, how, do, how, how does pharma get hit with the hit with the troll scourge? And, and I'll just start before I hand it to you because you really are the expert here on so many things. But I think, you know, from my perspective, I think there's so much, so many more positives in education that's happening in terms of digital that, yes, there will be trolls and negative comments maybe, but people are engaging more. Decisions are being made. You know, ultimately it's education. So, you know, there might be some things, but you know, a few negative comments will deal with that. I think it's more about how you're holistically educating people in a, tar- you know, in a targeted way. Um, and I don't love the word trolls, but I, I know that they're, they're a reality uh, in this world. I'd say in pharmaceuticals, well, for one, 
uh, pharmaceuticals has an, an exception on Facebook, especially where they can just choose not to engage. Yeah. Uh, we always try to guide our clients in the beginning towards engagement. Uh, we think it's better for their brand as well as just better for their ranking on the algorithm. Uh, so if the, if the pharmaceutical brand does decide to engage and we do start to see activity that looks suspicious, I think being able to figure out what the, if it's a, is it a troll or is it just a, a really confused patient yeah. who just can't get an answer? She just wants to know how much it costs yeah, or that, why it's not being covered. I mean, that was kind of my next question. You yeah. know, that's such a hard distinction to make, you know, given that a lot of these products are complicated, you know, getting them paid for is complicated. Right. Everything about it is complicated. Is there a way to kind of make a, a neat delineation or is it just a matter of, you know, you got to take each one down as it happens? Yeah. Um, it's, I asked my team that question right before we left. Mm-hmm. Um, you start to see patterns, communication patterns for like trolls. Uh, you know, they're trying to agitate you. They're, they're, you know, they've they've got a plan to their uh, to their trolling that you know is intended to generate a response. Uh, and you know, they use certain words. They tend to get more into um, you know, kind of corporate activity. Like you can tell pretty quickly when it's just somebody who's kind of out to get you or to make you look bad, versus somebody who is maybe doesn't have the right tone but is confused or just, you know, angry for other reasons. And those people, we actually want to help, you know, that's what, that's why I got into this was like, this is a way to help patients and hook them up with other patients. And, you know, so that's the positive side. Yeah. So it's a community thing. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, once we do identify a troll, um, the tools in place to, you know, block them, delete them, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're pretty available. Uh, so we see, we definitely see it. I would say it's probably not as prevalent in pharmaceuticals as it is in something like a retail or financial services or places that, you know, just take up a bigger part of a you know, person's mind share in terms of products. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of, I mean, I think from what you're saying, there's no you know playbook or anything like this, but um, you know, are there tips that, you know, if somebody calls you up and say, hey, we're dealing with this issue. Are there any kind of like big picture, you know, from way above type tips that you, oh, that yeah. you hand out? I mean, the very first thing is create a response protocol. Mm-hmm. So every single company that we work with, we have a pre-approved. It's been through their regulatory. It's been mm-hmm. through marketing. Uh, it's a pretty extensive document, depending on the client. And it's a living document. Mm-hmm. Uh, what that does is it enables our team to truly respond and, and communicate on behalf of, of the brand uh, with the client just knowing that it's taken care of because it's been approved. Mm-hmm. Uh, so first and foremost, prepare and, you know, really go through the work of creating that response protocol early and don't make it clinical. Don't make it boring. Make it like, give it a, give it a tone and a personality so that, uh, your brand really does come to life through those comments. Cause that's, that's what people are there for is they want to see the conversation and they want, you know, most likely just want answers. It's like the old school, you know, I'm the, the OG PR girl here, I guess, compared to all the digital <laughs> stuff. God, I'm probably aging myself. But, you know, it's like there was always crisis communications, you know, mm-hmm. in the PR days, you know, and you had to have, it was kind of the response protocol, but it was just take a lot more time and it would be picking up the phone and just dealing with all of that. So it's like, it hasn't changed that much. It's just speeding up the process. Mm-hmm. So as long as you're compliant and you're doing everything, that's what you can do. And I think the 24-7 monitoring, it is a thing. You know, you do have to do that. Community management is what, you know, we talked about in the beginning and we have this amazing team and thank thank goodness because that was the one thing we wanted to do it right and ethically and make sure that everything was, was coming through appropriately. So I think that responsiveness has really been, 
I think why we've won other clients in this space because they know we're really going to be there where I've heard in the past many companies say, well, it was a little on and off and, you know, we got nervous. It is still a nervous thing. So even though it's, you know, in its tweendom or, you know, whatever past its infancy, it still <laughs> brings up those things, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I mean, I have to think that, you know, one or two of these instances well handled, you know, it's going to be very visible. It's not like you're going to have to get out there and toot your own horn like, hey, look at us. Look what we did right here. Yeah, we've had we had a um, a, a few couple bad ones a few years ago with a brand that was spending a lot of money on television programming that several people objected to. So it was uh, the programming they objected to. It was, okay. it, it, yeah, it wasn't the company. It was just the fact that this brand was you know on a show that they didn't like the political opinions of that show. Uh, and but so, we're staying away from politics, yes. right? No, I'm kidding. No, I'm, <laughs> that's just yeah. I'm like, uh, okay, everybody. It was, it was friends reruns. <laughs> <Don't say anything. laughs> I'm teasing. I love but, it. but that created you know some new scenarios for us. But it also helped. I mean, it it was great because the company itself didn't really know that this sentiment was out there, and we were able to uncover it quickly and bring it you know up to CEO level so that you know decisions could be made about whether that programming was the right place for the brand. And I and I could not agree with that more. It's like the old school PR days of focus groups. I mean, you you have this online focus group basically that's giving you whether the opinions are good, bad or ugly, you're going to get all kinds. I mean, that's life, that's the world. I mean, in any industry, you know what I mean? You know, women in fashion can be crazy too, you know what I mean? So it's just I mean, there's just there's a lot you can do, but if, you know, I think that's the way, you know. Yeah, it's it's going now. So, um, trolls in the context of you know patient arena versus trolls in the context of the HCP arena. Are there any differing ways that you'd handle one or the other? Or do you pretty much have to evaluate them on a case by case? Yeah, I think that. I honestly don't think that there's a lot of patients that are truly out there to troll a brand. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe if you know the they believed that the brand had did some, done, done something wrong to them or there was some sort of organized movement against it. Um, on the HCP side, I think they're just busy and they're not really interested in starting picking fights on social media. Uh, you know, we have we do work with a couple companies that are uh, more challenger brands in healthcare mm-hmm. and they're bringing, uh, you know, new procedures, new um, treatments that, uh, you can see some resistance in the HCP community because that's their business. And, you know, if they've been doing it one way for the last 30 years, now all of a sudden there's a newer, cheaper, faster way to do it. And that company's trying to market that message. Uh, you can see there being some resistance, but honestly, we haven't really seen anything. That's it's a, and it's a lot of support because so many HCPs are doing their own, you know, especially up and comers or, you know, residents, fellows, all of that is, as you go up yeah. the you ranking. Build early and exactly. Then, and they're, they're starting to tout the technologies and everything they use on their Insta stories and getting it, you know, so it's, it's definitely growing that way in the HCP. And I don't think they it so much care what anyone else thinks. It's more, they really do want to educate their patients any way they can. Their front office staff. I mean, everyone talks about the HCPs, but you know, you think about a lot of these specialties, front office staff, technicians. I mean, so many people, hospital administrators make this stuff go so i think it's getting to them too I mean, since such they're a, make, making a lot of decisions as well yeah, exactly which I mean, people it's, forget it's such, a, it's such a wider ecosystem <laughs> right. than people exactly. perceive it's not, You're just not yeah. patients and doctors and that's it you know the neurologist might not have a say in, in certain things and that's okay and then they get around that and then we work around you know there's you know university you know affiliations and then private practice and ases and everything else so it's you know and that's changed too uh, probably from when you totally. started the business. The doctors really were the key influencers yes. in the buying decision with uh, 
with payers and providers and um, not so much anymore. And so we actually will create campaigns. Uh, look, we do online petitions uh, mm-hmm. where we have a doctor who feels really strongly that a procedure should be covered for uh, her patients. And so, you know, we've done um, worked with with doctors who are really kind of um, passionate. passionate about seeing change happen. And it's not about, it, I mean, you know, they can be as loud as they can be, but it's a, you know, an insurance commissioner in a state that's making a decision that is, you know, more towards the status quo than towards, uh, you know, the innovation. So it, there's like a lot of different ways of doing it. But I think that ecosystem is definitely something that we work with, with co- especially smaller companies who might be a little bit new, newer to it, mm-hmm. just really understanding the value proposition. It's going to be different for a payer than it is for a doctor than it is for a patient. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting when, you know, when I was doing my homework before you guys came in, um, I started thinking about, you know, insurers, you know, mm-hmm. even, you know, some of the, you know, pharma, you know, PBMs, pharma benefit managers, and how in the social media realm, really a lot of the anger could be directed there, but right. it's directed in different, in different places. Mm-hmm. Um, is, I mean, have you, have you seen any of this? Cause I couldn't find much. To be, I don't to see be it online. I see it more in the background of people still chattering. I don't think that's caught on where people aren't calling out as much. Yeah, you know, specifically, I've heard things you know. specifically from small or large pharma companies of what they're hearing and, and all of that, but not so much online. I haven't seen, but maybe yeah, that's... I mean, I've seen some of it. I think, Many of the insurance companies have built up pretty robust communication, like customer service call centers, yeah. communication protocols. Uh, so they were, you know, they tend to be pretty protected from this sort of stuff. But I think they pay for it. I think I think it's a part of why your insurance costs so much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is. Yeah, you know, a, a different other, conversation. Other, <laughs> other, different podcast. Part, part two. <laughs> and it's just going to lead us right into the politics thing, so yeah. we're going to stay far away from that. Yeah. It's all right. Yeah. All right, since this studio is sweltering and I feel terrible about keeping you in here, we're going to go right to the speed round here. Um, at the end of every uh, conversation, we try to throw a couple of quick hit questions at you. Um, I'd love for you both to answer, um, assuming you have thoughts on them. Um, what do you both do to unplug? Your business is so, you know, much about being digital, about, you know, being there 24-7. Um, can you unplug for any, you know, length of time? And if so, what do you do during it? We have a, I'm going to hand it over to you because we have actually, this is one thing, you know, we can put, we can kind of challenge each other on a lot and that's why we love each other so much. But I think this is one thing we actually agree on that. Is there really such a thing as totally unplugging? I mean, I have three kids, the CEO, I travel a lot, whatever. We all have a lot going on. Um, so I don't truly, but I look at the little moments that are little gifts where, you know, last week coming, I was in Cali for like seven hours, 17 hours, not just seven. And, um, you know, there was no Wi-Fi on the way home. So it was like, oh, okay, I'm going to watch two movies and that's great. You know, so like for me, the accidental unplugging is always really valuable to me, but I kind of have fun with whatever I do, I think. So I think to me work that not to sound cheesy and. You know, but work is really, you know, there's so many good parts of it that I feel like I do have to be on most of the time, but it doesn't bother me. And I still sleep eight, nine hours a night. No one else I know does. So I'm doing something <laughs> right. right. I, I agree 100%. I don't really believe in unplugging. Uh, not because I'm like a workaholic. I mean, I believe in not checking your email every once in a while. But, um, you know, I've had times where I've been, there was a time two years ago, I was in Italy for two weeks, really kind of remote part. And, uh, just sort of traveling, but still kind of working. And I, I got a pop up from Facebook saying like, uh, your friend from who you haven't talked to in five years is here, like, like two blocks away from you. 
And we connected, and she was traveling with her boyfriend, and we spent four amazing days together just, like, traveling throughout, like, this little section of Southern Europe. Um, and it was just so amazing, and that wouldn't have happened without me being on Facebook. Was I, you know, addicted to Facebook at the time? No, but I was really happy that it happened. So I tend to find when I, I'm around people who, you know, their battery's dead or they are in some way unplugged, they just don't seem to be that happy. And I think that's just mostly because the world is digital now. Mm -hmm. Everything's connected. And we're not drones, so we don't want to make a same mistake. They're totally, <laughs> obviously, very fun people, but, you know. No, I, yeah, I find that whenever somebody says, like, I am going to yes. disconnect from 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock, you know, that that's not a strategy that works because, you know, you know it's not just happens. up to you. Exactly. It's, yeah. it's just life, you know. And I feel lucky that, you know, the, you know, a storm can put a hole in my wall and I can get someone to come a few minutes later. Mm -hmm. So, you right. know what? Like, I, I feel I just always look at the advantages, I guess. But connection is good. It mm -hmm. is. <laughs> um, second uh, quick hit question. Who are some of your favorite daily reads? Who are some of your favorite uh, social media follows, whether in pharma or elsewhere? My favorite is Jennifer Fisher Jewelry. Um, if you follow her on Instagram, she's local to New York, and I've been a fan of hers for years. And to watch how she expanded her brand and goes right DTC and the way she sells things immediately, mm -hmm. you got to check it out. Her evolution, she integrates a lot of personal stuff in there in a good way. And I kind of, you know, even though we're a healthcare communications company, I do like to keep it light and fun and have our swag and show that. So, you know, that's, I, I love stuff like that. And I actually do a lot of our Insta stories. So, yeah. and I, I looked at people like Jennifer for an inspiration. So I would say that. And I mean, I guess, yeah. What about you? Um, I talk a lot when companies <laughs> ask me about that, like, like pharmaceutical companies or healthcare companies, I talk a lot about, uh, a, a small clothing brand out of San Francisco called Everlane, uh, founded by a guy named Michael Priceman. And I don't know how familiar you are with them, but their whole uh, marketing strategy is all around this concept of radical transparency. And so when you go onto their website and look at a sweater that costs $68, you're finding out how much they're paying the factory worker in Vietnam. And like, here's a video of that factory. And you're seeing like what it costs to, you know, what kind of material they're using and what that costs. And here's the farm that it's sourced from. And I just love that notion of transparency. And I feel like in healthcare, we need a lot more of that. Uh, so I tend to, you know, be really attracted to brands who are um, telling stories about transparent, but tra transparency, but also just being transparent in the way that they present themselves. And 150% of our brainstorms, we do talk about a lot of non-pharma, non-healthcare stuff. And we bring a lot of that with the teams. And our team is just super diverse, 40 people all over and different backgrounds. So that's been a lot of fun because we can bring our former lives and, you know, sometimes out their ideas and see where it goes. So. Right. I just one last question for you. Um, who is your marketing role model? Hmm. Probably Christian Rogers. Georgette Pascal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we didn't even plan that. I like that. Um, no, I mean, I think we look to a lot of different people for inspiration. It's yeah. so hard, you know, because our clients, I mean, the people we work with daily, I think that a lot of our partners, our, we do a lot, you know. We have this really kind of incredible work culture and we are all virtual. I mean, we just had our big uh, company meeting in New York a couple weeks ago, and we actually got to see each other. I mean, we see each other on Hangouts and Zooms and things like that. But uh, I think that the our, we have this just culture of like great respect and trust in each other, which I think is hard to even build in a office, let alone you know forty offices around the world. Uh, so. I do. I, I think that the um, the respect that we all have for each other and support is part of what makes um, what we bring to clients 
work so well. Mm-hmm. And you, Larry. <laughs> yes, and you, Larry. <laughs> well, duh. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I can't tell you how many times the answer is me in that question. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's, very, it's, it's very, very embarrassing. Let me tell you. Thank you both so much for coming by. Um, Thank you, know, you something so much. That was timely, and um, it was a lot of fun, too. Thanks. Um, a couple of our plugs to get in. By the way, your, your swag, I believe that you are the only – health marketing agency of any kind that has a special swag section on your website <laughs> and frankly George, it's very idea. cool <laughs> that, was, that was my idea it's the sure. idea of what I think what dogs the dogs of Pascal <laughs> yes oh, and Allison cheers to her she actually those are her four dogs and she's an artist as well yeah. we like to bring other hobbies in so she did the shirt T- tell her that is a genius a we genius concept so we love it right. um, a couple more of our plugs on the way out here um, MM&M Awards on October 10th in Cipriani Wall Street um, the MMNN South MMNM salary survey and our best places to work will be launching soon. Uh, Georgette, Christian, thank you so much for being here today. Thank and you. this is Larry Dobrow for the MMNM podcast. Take care.